Hello, g'day, and welcome to episode 122 of the Post Flop Poker Podcast, designed especially for the serious recreational player. I'm Merv Astro247 Harvey, and I'll be one of your co-hosts for the next hour or two, joining you for next this week from the leafy suburb of Roseville in the North Shore of Sydney, Australia. Uh, let me introduce my co-host. He's been an online poker player, coach, producer of numerous training videos across multiple sites, author of a variety of strategy books, including, of course, the seminal post-flop, The Edge You Need in No Limit Hold'em. Joining us again, possibly for the last time from Bangkok in Thailand, it's Ben Hales. How the heck are you, Ben? Yeah, down to my last couple of weeks in Thailand. Been here 15 years and... Um Feeling a little bit sad, Merv. A couple of days ago, my 14-year-old companion, my white cat, Gizmo, sadly passed away. So, shout out to anyone who's lost a, a loved animal because, yeah, it's tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going through all those emotions. E end of yeah. an era, end of an era as we move on to to, to the UK for a new yeah. life. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's what's been going on, Merv. New ends, yeah. Oh, that's a pretty big one to deal with too. It's, uh, uh, yeah, when anyone leaves us, whether it be from the pet family or the human family, it's something that's always pretty tough and, yeah, not something we, we ever want to look forward to. So, Indeed. Commiserations there, yeah. But other, than that, other than that, we're, you know, we're good. Um, we're starting to pack bags and think about you know things that we we can get rid of and all, all our belongings really um so there's a there's a lot to be getting on with it's not easy changing countries these days merv lots to think about all the uh coronavirus quarantines and so on and so forth i, I imagine the paperwork must be uh mountainous so. yeah the, i mean the visa for my thai wife to Settle in the UK is very, very involved, um, but we're through most of that, and uh, so hopefully, hopefully, won't involve too much filling out of forms. But uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's okay. have you got a, uh, a date yet that you'll hit yeah, the 12th, UK? Yeah, 12th of June we leave. 13th of June we arrive. So, wow. Well, throw away all your uh, warm clothes then, I guess. And Oh, no, it'll be summer over there, won't it? So it'll probably be 15 or 20 degrees Celsius. <laughs> he says laughing. Yeah, um, it'll be, in inverted commas, summer. Um, yeah, if, if that's really a thing in Manchester, I don't know. But uh, I seem to have remember from my childhood the odd, uh, the odd day of sunshine. So, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, 22 degrees. You won't need that air conditioner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too right. So how's the poker been going, Merv? Uh, have, you play, have you played some poker since last time? Uh, yeah, I've had to have a, for just about a couple of weeks. I finally got to play a game uh, just last night, actually. Uh, in fact, I've got, a, I've got a hand from there, which uh, I'm going to get some advice from. I'm probably expecting to be hugely slagged off for how I played it, but... Uh, one of the most exciting hands I've played in a long time. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably see why when it comes up. And, uh, yeah, so there, 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 there will be more games coming up. But, uh, yeah, just this last couple of weeks, been pretty busy, actually. And uh, we had a big event in Sydney that just went gangbusters and we're meant to have an event down in Melbourne, uh, not this weekend, next weekend. And uh, they've just had to cancel that due to the uh, recent seven-day lockdown in Melbourne uh, due to a COVID outbreak, which, um, you know, is nothing compared to anything on, on the world scale. Uh, you know, I think there's 26 cases in it after four or five days. Pretty much all, all known where they come from, so that's that's good as well. Uh, but, yeah, the, that event was cancelled. So now I've got to shift onto a uh, online platform for that particular event, which is uh, another challenge in itself. So <laughs> poker's going to have an, an, have to take another back seat for a week or two. Every week I don't play, Ben. It's just like, I don't know. I, I, just, know. I, know, I can't bro. wait to get back. Can't wait to get back to it. So It won't be long. Wait. It won't be long. There's, uh, there must be a lot of people in the same boat, you know, can't <laughs> wait to get back to playing and, 
Uh, I know a lot of players that don't don't really like the online experience, and um, you know, if you haven't got those live games available, or uh, the online experience is not available to you for legal reasons, then you know it, it, it's it's a tough time. But the the games all reappear. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. They're, they're going to start coming back. Vegas is really opening up now. And seeing the, the plexiglass come down, um, some good pictures out, out of there. Um, yeah, and you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll have a couple of local casinos you'll be able to go and play at. I will, Merv. I will. I've got a good record in We're- the old local casinos back home. So uh, who knows? There may be a resurgence. <laughs> well, yeah, we might hear some hands coming from the. Uh, is it the? It's not Dust Till Dawn, is it? That's in oh, London. Nottingham, I'm guessing Nottingham. Yeah. Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, what's the What's the local one in uh, Manchester? Uh, there's called? quite a few Grosvenor casinos that host Grosvenor, some pr- pretty yeah. good, uh, pretty good poker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice one. Well, uh, the uh, the Crown Casino has just been locked down in in Melbourne, so that's closed again. But. Uh, Speaking of the Star Casino, they've got uh, the Sydney Champs coming up. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're going full steam. Uh, I have to mention this uh, for all the uh, guys out there, all the listeners keen on uh, hearing about our bingo wins. My partner had a $6,300 bingo w- win at the Star Casino the other week. Um, of course, she's my original bingo mindset student. Uh, again, anyone that wants those bingo mindset individual coaching sessions, uh there is a bit of a queue, but I'm giving preference to all our patron members. So, uh, yeah, get in on that one quickly. Uh, yeah, $6,300 bingo win for a $15 buy-in. Not bad, eh? Not bad. Um, it, it's, nearly- it's insane. I, I've been doing something wrong all of these years. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it can be easy, uh, but you've got to grind it. And, uh, yeah grind it uh, she, she does pretty well so um yeah I, I i probably should stop there because there's so much that i could go on about with table selection and uh you know bankroll management things like that uh, all to do with bingo but i won't uh <laughs> well well done you've shown remarkable self-restraint Merv. uh so what have we Thank got you. coming up in the in the show today poker and evolution next chapter uh, oh wicked yeah yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. So, yeah, all the, uh, I mean, how's poker evolved from being a card game all those hundreds of years ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who'd, who'd think we'd be talking GTO with uh, AI reiterations and <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to it. So, yeah, we've got that coming up. Uh, the aforementioned hand that I mentioned. Uh, uh, yeah. I've had a quick look at your hand, Merv. Whoo, it's a tricky one. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to solve it for you, um, but I'll I'll certainly stick the knife in if that helps. <laughs> give it I'm a ready for give it. it a good twist. <laughs> I'm I'm ready for it. I've got my body armor on. <laughs> I'm feeling like I can take anything. <laughs> Good man. All right. I won't hold back then. <laughs> when, when do you ever? <laughs> let's take a break here and uh, let's come back with the uh, next chapter, Poker and Evolution, on the Post Poker Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. We're about to get into the next chapter of Ben's latest book, Poker and Everything. Uh, this one's Chapter 9, Poker and Evolution. Uh, yeah, in the book, Ben, you, you point to some of the uh, origins or try to point to some of the origins. They're a little bit unknown. Uh, yeah. Yeah, going, going back to Persia. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it depends. I guess uh, everything evolves from something else, you know. So... There's no beginning point. I think that's important when you're trying to trace back the origins of uh, of things. I mean, sometimes there's a clear um, starting point that you could point at, but I think with something like a, a card game, it's always passed on from generation to generation. So I'm not surprised that um, people are kind of attempting to trace it back over a thousand years to Persia. Um, uh, 
you know, it's a standard answer for anything, isn't it, really? Well, we're all African, you know, it all goes back to, or, or is, you know, you can keep going further and further. But something that may have had some resemblance to the game of poker, and one of the things that stands out about the game of poker is the betting structure. Uh, mm. This this is kind of unique against other games. These rounds of betting and then a development in the in the game followed by further rounds of betting. That's definitely one of the unique points. Which I think, um, uh, if a game was a precursor to poker that had this betting structure, I think that that's a clear indicator that the two games are are linked. Mm. Mm. And I guess uh, when it turned itself into something like five-card draw, where which is uh, probably the original poker I played with my great-grandmother, uh, you, know, you get five cards, you toss out any number of them and uh, yeah. make a bet. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when, when the French colonists introduced the game to the, the southern parts of uh, the United States... Um, it was definitely something similar to five card draw, and um, uh, the the name was a French name, poke, uh, uh, which became anglicised to poker. And what poker was then wasn't the same, but it was something like five card draw. And then as things evolved through America, I think uh, it spread to uh, to the West Coast. Um, where limit hold'em evolved, and and to the east coast where it was more seven card stud, and we got mm. this kind of breakaway and and um, separate evolutions going on on the two coasts. Mm. Yeah, and I guess there's always going to be, um, I mean, the the many variants that popped up, and and now we have, you know, we have bracelet series for so many different types of the game. Uh, yeah, well, there's an explosion now of, of new formats because of the widespread popularity and the mass communications available with the internet um, and the, the ability for people to play each other across the world. So you've got um, the, the potential and the market forces for um, multiple game formats. And uh, it's something I talk about um uh, in, in the following two chapters of the book, so the final two chapters uh, about where poker might go to in the future in terms of uh, the, this this trend continuation of more and more game formats and actually the, 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 the evolution of poker in the future will, I think, be very dependent on the successes of the new formats of the game because the formats that we currently have uh, will uh, become solved, which is a big issue. Mm, mm. Uh, I guess uh, once once online poker started uh, what, just before just before 2000, uh, I guess that was probably the start of when you know you, you can play like you said, play anyone across the world. Um, you could transfer money, you could win money from someone in another country. That was just unheard of. You had to go to a, a card room to be able to do that. Um, and and you know, then we had, uh, of course, uh, Chris Moneymaker winning the, the WSOP main event 2003 and No Limit Texas Hold'em really took over, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, that was the explosion factor, which, of course, everybody uh, talks about. Um it was happening before Chris Moneymaker won. It, there, there was a clear upward mm. trend. So I don't think that his win um, started something. I think it propelled it forwards quicker than it would have gone. But it was going It was going to explode anyway. And it, his well-publicised win in 2003 was... Um, it, it, it was what the... It was what the online market needed, and um, it, it helped all the marketing, and it, it it got many many people across the world interested in trying their hand at some online poker. Mm. And so the years that followed, the five, six, seven years that followed, were um, were the biggest growth years for poker, uh, uh, for online poker at least. Yeah, uh, yeah, until two thousand and eleven, of course, Black Friday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then 
we all know what happened after that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's when uh, I think live poker really came into its own, having to uh, just sort of take fill, fill in that hole. Uh, yeah, so for American players, for example, they, they had a choice of either move abroad <laughs> um, if you want to be a professional online poker player, it was pretty much a case of flout the rules and try and set up a VPN that won't go noticed um, or move abroad, which is, you know, not really possible for most um, or play live poker and, and try to rely on that as a, as your form of income. So it, very, very disruptive um, for yeah. poker players in the United States and, and across the world as well. And I think one of the, uh, the interesting things in this chapter, uh, you mentioned, in fact, I'm, I'm going to read out this paragraph and get your thoughts on it. Game theory is the mathematical study of interactions between two or more parties in which it each party's gains or losses are affected by the decisions of the other parties. It has applications in traditional games, evolutionary biology, economics, military affairs, political science, law, business strategy, etc. One of the reasons why I find it so fascinating is because of its wider implications. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I kind of, I mean, the, the chapter is very short, but divided very much into two. So I, I talk about the... Um, the evolution of poker itself up to the, cu the current time. Um, but then I just change subject quite dramatically and talk about um, game theory and how the, the study of poker and the study of evolution are bound together by game theory. And, and not only that, but the, um, the fact that game theory underpins so many, uh, so many facets of life which require... Um, difficult, complex decision making. So I just I just find game theory fascinating for for this for this reason that that uh, its implications are widespread and we should be using it and mastering it and getting the computers to do a lot of our power, powerful thinking requirements for us so that we're not relying on. Um, the human brain as is. And I think once you know once quantum computing really takes off then we'll be in more of a position to, to harness the power to come up with complex solutions to problems not just poker problems but um, more important strategies and I mentioned some of them in the closing parts of the chapter so things like tackling climate change for example if we can plug in the raw data and in, into a, a simulated world that the quantum computers are studying, um, then we can we can ask the, the the computers to come up with a game theory optimal solution as to how we should reverse the problem of climate change and move forward. You know, so we're not just relying on our limited human capacity to to tackle uh, really difficult decisions, and obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, po poker and no limit hold'em are m m vastly simpler than s something like you know climate change. But as we become more competent um, at, at uh, programming these computers with what they what they're going to need to uh, to harness and to, to to really utilize the the power of them, um, they are going to be better. At making decisions than we we will and although this is more covered in the next chapter which talks about computers i think you know the game theory as a topic is it's, it's already really really complicated and really fascinating to study and it's it's already useful but it's going to become increasingly useful into the future and that's the, the point i was kind of trying to make mm. with the quantum computing yeah and and going to the name of the book poker and everything so if, talking about using game theory to to solve some of the the big problems like climate change and, and everything else that seems to take politicians you know an eternity to come anywhere near a solution what you're suggesting is that uh, game theory could be the the key here to actually getting getting things done a lot quicker so that you know 
we're in a different position in the year 2030 or 2040 rather than still being in the same spot 50 years down the track. Yeah, I mean, coming up with solutions that are, you know, realistic and um, optimal, you know, that's what we're after. We're, we, we, don't, we don't want politicians making what seem to be good decisions. We want politicians making what are good decisions. And if, if using computers to achieve that is the way forward, then I, I think we ought to be um, open at least to using them, making use of them. I'm not saying let them take over, obviously. And of course, we talked about the dangers of AI more generally with, with James, the uh, creator of Algo Hold'em back in, I don't know, 10, yep. e 10 episodes ago, something like that. Uh, yeah, 12, episode 110, yeah. 110, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So you're an encyclopedia for our episodes, <laughs> mate. I love that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that was a fascinating discussion, and we covered that in, in a fair amount of detail, so I'm not going to go down all of that road again. But um, no doubt in the, in the next episode, um, we, will, we will talk about computers in more depth. But, uh, yeah, mm. game, game theory itself. I mean, the thing that actually inspired me, Merv, originally to, to be, be interested in this was when I read uh, the evolutionary masterpiece the selfish gene by richard dawkins when i was i don't know in my very early 20s and um he, he spent quite a lot of time ex explaining how it affected the um the, the way that species evolve um so the, the strategies that different animals adopt in order to survive and pass on their genes to the next generation is is governed by game theory and, and um, it, it, it was really, really interesting to see how a very simple mathematical model can be applied to a completely different field, and it it it, it opened my eyes to the, to this. And so when I when I started studying poker, um, it, it had a wider context already, and I think that really helped me um, to put things in perspective and to to to, to understand the mathematics more as well. Mm. To, to actually give it a wider context makes yeah. it m more interesting and you become a bit more motivated to study it i think awesome so so as poker players uh, when game theory becomes you know, the norm in uh political decisions we'll be able to say well we we knew about gto years ago <laughs> well, before right, right, anyone right. i mean the, the you know the military uh, the powers around the world are paying a massive amount of attention to what the computers are doing um, for for game theory, you know, and 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 the unraveling of games like poker and how the the computers are achieving it because they understand that for military tactics and controlling populations, you know, political, uh, the, they they need to be on top of this so that they can achieve their goals and. It's a, it is a little bit scary, but um, the the games like poker, uh, anything where money's involved, of course, you get a lot of the the new technology is directed towards that. I mean, we're, we're going to solve poker because ultimately, because there's a market force driving <laughs> us to do so. Otherwise, we wouldn't bother, right? Yeah. Um, but that that's the same the same thing for other applications if there's a market force driving us towards solving it then we will go go ahead and direct our, our energy to solving it and that's really really important so we need to make sure that the market forces that drive us forward are also desirable um, and not undesirable because if we put the technology in the hands of the wrong people or the wrong conglomerates then disaster could take place Merv dun, dun, dun. is that insert music uh, yeah did, yeah what was the Terminator mu uh, may music maybe yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome that's, that's kind of I, I love the idea that it links back uh, you know humans playing simple games with each other and the drive to actually find the solution to the games 
can actually help us uh, uh, as a race. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Great. Alternatively, you could book a session for some bingo mindset coaching with yes. Merv. And yes. that will probably solve all the world's problems in one go. So there we go. Two alternative strategies. Who's to say which is right? I don't know. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> <laughs> the choice is yours. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for that extra plug there, Ben. I was only going to try and plug the mindset coaching sessions once, but um, we've got two in already. <laughs> Let's, uh, let, let's take a break here. I'll, we'll come back with our stretch at hand. I'm dying to get into it. Um, yeah, let's come back with that soon on the Postflop Poker Podcast. Trying to improve your poker game? Then let me quickly tell you about Postflop by online poker pro Ben Hales. This is the first poker book devoted to the subject of postflop play. It offers practical and useful insights that can be taken by anyone and applied at the tables. This book is guaranteed to improve your game. It'll change the way you think about hands and increase your confidence in your post. And welcome back to the Postflop Poker Podcast. We're into the Strat Chat segment. And this time I've brought along a hand I played last night. Uh, feels like probably one of the most exciting hands I've played in a long while. Uh, we're at the Harbour Diggers at the MPL Sydney North. Uh, it's day one of a two-day 10k guaranteed uh it's important to know it's day 1b because there's still a day 1c that if you get knocked out of 1b uh you can hop back in on 1c uh that's probably a little spoiler alert happening there uh the idea is you last 12 12 levels of uh, day one and you bag it up and you come back uh to day two the blinds are 600 1200 and no antis, we're into the sixth level, so about halfway through the night. Uh, my stack's 60, 75Ks, so just over 60 bigs. Uh, our aggressive, our villains, one of the sort of aggressive, pretty sharp player um, in the area, KP, he's on the button. Uh, he's got a pretty high raise first in percentage, and he covers me uh, by about 10, 10 to 15 bigs. Uh, so in this hand, we've got uh, King Kenny uh, from last episode. He limps in. Uh, Jez limps in. I limp the cutoff with Ace Two of Spades suited, and I'm ready to call any reasonable size raise from KP, who's on my left on the button, you know, because I know that uh, there's going to be a couple of other callers. There'll be quite a, a good size pot, and uh, if I flop well. Uh, it could be a, a very juicy pot. So um, KP then raises up the button on Q to 3,500. So just under three bigs. Uh, Danny in the small blind calls, Pedro in the big blind folds, Kenny folds, Jezza calls and I call. So I call 2,300 more. I'm closing the action uh, and the pot's going to be 16,000. Exactly what I wanted. A nice big juicy pot. Um, big pot odds. Nah. Oh, there's a nah. pre-flop. Okay, I thought I was going to get through that okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't really like going in with the mindset of uh, I'll, I'll limp and then uh, I'll call a raise out of position. I mean, you, I know you're on the cutoff. You've got, obviously, you've got good position, but you're specifically saying... I'm expecting the button to raise and I'm looking to call a raise with a speculative hand. I mean, you're out, you, you, mm. you want to be out of position um, calling a raise and I don't think that should be a mindset. I personally would be thinking um, as it comes around, okay, it's a, this is, there's a few limpers. Am I prepared to include this in my raising range um, or... Or should should I just get out? I'd rather be raising or folding rather than limping in in this spot. If I'm in the small blind or um, uh, I'm, I'm on the button specifically, knowing that I'm in in position guaranteed, then I think limping makes more sense. Um, and from the small blind, because of pot odds reasons, obviously, and the much lower percentage chance that there's going to be a raise. Um, but 
in this spot from the cutoff, I I don't know. It's not it's not awful. I mean, you can you can make a a case for it. You can argue against me. There's de it's definitely playable this way, but it's a bit passive. Yeah. For um yeah for, for for a pre flop strategy, I'd like I'd like to be a bit more aggressive, especially uh, sat on the position. Fair enough. Uh, I guess my reasoning there was that if I did raise, there's a good chance KP is going to call, and I'll be. I will definitely be out of position to him as well. But with me being the aggressor, if the flop's not very uh, friendly, then I'm, I'm either going to be expected to continuation bet um, or give up control of the pot. And he will pretty quickly take control. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be giving up. I guess it's, it's yeah, not too much there. I, I think I was – I'd probably been um, – building my stack up. So I, I was probably wasn't ready to uh, jump in with a raise with ACE2 suited, but I hear you, I hear your reasoning about not having the right mindset for that. Just, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. If, I mean, if you, if you're limping in expecting to see a flop for one, one big blind, one limp, then I think that's, that's fine. You know, see a cheap flop with a, seated hand seated ace here so it's really nice you know if you could guarantee you're going to see the flop or you can almost guarantee you're going to see the flop but your whole mindset was well he's going to raise anyway and i'm going to call the raise and i don't think that's the right mindset that's my um that, that it's more about the mindset of it yeah i think if you if you go if you're going to do that you might as well be the one raising so um you are representing a stronger hand and therefore like as as this hand develops it actually does matter that his range looks different to your range yeah it matter it matters your range is just weaker than his because of the preflop action yeah yeah you, you make two fairly passive actions whereas he makes one aggressive action uh, yeah and i guess i tried to use that a little bit as the hand progresses so uh um yeah so we'll go to the flop uh yeah sorry point taken yeah. no, point taken uh so the as i said the pot's about sixteen thousand, uh and the flop comes three four five all hearts yeah i mean it's a night it's a nightmare kind of flop and you're holding ace, ace two of two of spades. spades wrong color wrong suit wrong yeah. so you got the bottom but end of a of a straight draw Oh, sorry, straight. you've got a straight. Flop the straight, yeah. You flop the, the wheel, and um, but there are better straights and flushes available, uh, and and huge numbers of draws. So it's a very vulnerable straight. Yeah. So the two players uh, before me both check, and I know that they're both uh, aggressive enough that if they hit the flop, they would have bet. Uh, so when they check, I feel that I can take a bit of control over the, the hand and uh, I lead out with 5.5 thousand, so about a third of the pot. Um, KP calls on the button and the other two fold. So because there's four players at the flop stage, when you make a bet... The, the into a you know a board like this your range has to be quite narrow um it just it doesn't make sense to be betting with many hands in this spot um so yeah. what that what that also means is that for a responder their range needs to be quite narrow as well so they ought to be although you bet a third of the pot they've got good pot odds um and certainly the button's got more reason to call than the other two. But it's still, it's such a dangerous but You just shouldn't really be continuing without, say, a, a nut draw or um, something significant like what you're holding, you know, a natural straight. Um, but there's not, not too much. I mean, <laughs> there's an incentive to stick around in that the pot odds are re really attractive. But I think we've all played in these pots often enough to know that the risk-reward ratio just doesn't really stack up when you're not holding, you know, if you're just holding, say, the jack of hearts, 
not really a lot of point in continuing, right? Um, so, so a lot of hands should be folding out to your bet. Yeah. That's to be fair, on, yeah. yeah, to be fair, two of them do, and, and the guy in position calls, right? Yeah. So looking at the other options there, if I uh, instead checked to the preflop raiser, yeah, and you could expect uh, a bet from them. Or if, on the other hand, if he doesn't bet, then I've given a free card, possibly another heart to the other the other three players. Uh, well, the other two, yeah. Well. Yeah, I get that, but I think I think you do want to try and exercise some control. Um, and I'm not I'm not massively against a small bet with the the, the hand that you're holding because it it, it does get rid of someone with a weak heart and and that that could be quite valuable but the the odds on none of them holding a heart um is quite low and it might be kind of nice to see the turn first make sure that it's not a heart and then sort of build the pot from there uh, rather than building it immediately but i i, I mean there's there two mindsets here you do want to thin the field uh, but you don't want to bloat the pot but in a way, you know, maybe you do want to bloke the part if if it's about your straight making some money. Um, so there's a lot of forces at work here. Uh, I personally think that a check would have been better than a bet um, on yeah. this occasion. But you know, it's it's okay. it's not easy. So this is where I think I might have made the wrong uh, decision. That possibly if I checked. And uh, KP preflop raiser bets, then I sh could chuck in a check raise. Oh no, I don't think a check no. raise is 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 smart. I, I think if you, you no no, I don't think so. Um, your your hand is not strong enough. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I was. Probably basing that on the fact that he's going to continuation bet a lot of times. I mean, if you nothing. do, you're, you're really committing yourself. Um, and the, the, the chances that one of your opponents happens to have started with the Ace of Hearts um, is quite high. They're not going away when you check raise. So they've either got a flush or they're drawing to a nut flush, which is going to beat you. And you... It could could potentially wind up losing a huge mm. pot. Mm. Um, so and and when you you know you check raise you and nobody's got anything, then okay, you do win a small pot, or it's not it's already quite substantial. So you win a medium sized pot, but I don't think that that's the right approach here. I think you can do better than a check raise by just check calling um, or leading out like you do with a small bet, which I think is more reasonable than a check raise i just don't think that a, ch a check raise on this board is yeah. is effective enough if the board's really dry yeah. maybe yeah yeah it, you know it works a lot more often on a dry, dry board you get you get rid of hands um but here yeah i don't know oh here yep no good so uh so the lead so the smallish lead outs one of the more favoured ways to uh, to proceed, it sounds like, um, thinning the field and um, sure, someone's going to continue if they've got a strong strong flush draw, uh, but not much else has got a lot of reason to continue. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so as I said, KP calls, uh, the other two fold and we come to the turn with 27,000 in the pot and the turn comes four of clubs pairing the board so it's a three four five all hearts and then the four of clubs pairing the board uh thought about it for a while and uh i sort of got it into my head that uh if he was on a flush draw uh i would bet again and probably take it down unless it was a nut flush draw um he's capable of, of raising pre-flop with any suited connectors uh any of the heart-suited heart connectors. Um, so, yeah, I, I lead for 16 point, just over 16.5K. 
so a bit larger than half pot. And KP goes into a bit of a tank and uh, eventually calls. Hmm. So, yeah, I guess my reasoning here was to um, continue to hold the lead in the hand. Uh, I didn't really want to show weakness. Um, that could have been a wrong decision as well. But I also thought that uh, with the paired board like that, if my lead in the first place was uh, perceived as leading out with a set, uh, limping in with you know small pockets, small pockets then you know, hits a set on the flop, uh, hence the lead. Um, and then once it pairs, I thought lead again. Mm. It's I mean, you're right to mention the paired board on the turn. It, it, although the, the turn is a blank in many ways and it's not a heart, so it's a good card, um, it has created the possibility of a full house or four of a kind. So um, you can't rule those hands out entirely. So what, what you've now got is you've got a whole bunch of flush hands that beat you. Um, and you've also now got quite a few additional full house hands that beat you. And you've got an opponent's range, which ought, despite his tendencies to be a bit loose, it ought to be narrowing into something quite scary on the turn. And again, I'm not really convinced that you've got the right range against range. Um, your, your range is... is not particularly strong. I don't think. I don't think you've got the right to be um, making too many big bets here. I think you should be a bit more cautious. I mean, if he raises you, what are you going to do? Mm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it. It's a, a little bit about the the pot geometry here. I mean, if you've decided you're just going to throw all your chips in and bluff the river, then you've not got the right hand to be doing that with, I don't think. Uh, it's just the wrong moment. But if if you decide that you're going to do that, then I think that there's some sense in, okay, well, let's bet the turn and then bet the river. But I, I, I think it is probably more optimal to check the turn, react to his bet. So if he makes a bet, then, well, okay, you're holding it straight. You think you might still be good, but then you're keeping in his weaker hands. Yeah. That's what you're keeping in his weak hands. See the river. If it's not a heart, definitely go with that check check calling strategy again, or or even lead out, cause him a problem. And then, um, if it is a heart, then you probably can check fold quite quite confidently. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, that's the sort of strategy I would be recommending here to to avoid uh, disappointment. Yes. Yes. Spoiler alert there. Uh, yes. Okay. P10 calls. Uh, we get to the river. Uh, the pot's now 60,000. Well, it didn't raise. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, there's certain hands that he might have chosen to raise with here. Um, tell me about the stack size remaining. Sorry, the, the, the pot size and the stack size remaining. Yeah, so the pot's uh, become 60K, or do you mean on the, before the turn or before the river? Uh, well, we he's called the turn bet, right? Yeah, yeah. So, no so, so at the river, so just before your decision. Yeah, I've got about 39, nearly 40K left. And the pot's nearly 60. Yeah. I was wondering so, so, about this. Okay, is, yeah. While he, while he was... Uh, Tanking here, I was wondering a little bit about the uh, the geometry side of it, and and should I have thought about that sixteen point six bet a little bit more to you know, to jig a little bit so that the the river bet. Well, I think the the problem you've got really is that although you, you've set you set yourself up very nicely in terms of bet sizes for a river all in, but what you've not got is an opponent with that many hands that I think you're beating um, because the river's the nine of hearts. Yeah. So 
once the the heart once the heart comes down on the river, I think you know he's got an, the ace of hearts almost all the time that he hasn't got a full house or uh, pocket fours, you know. So I just think, what what hands are you expecting him to have? Where you, you, you know he's that I don't think you, basically I think your range against his range is horrible and therefore you shouldn't be bluffing very often and when you do bluff you should be choosing hands with no equity and the hand that you've got has equity because you've still got a straight um, so it it just fits perfectly into a check calling mm. scenario mm. yeah yeah that was definitely the other way I I could have gone down. Uh, down the thing uh, on on the river you mentioned the river nine of hearts bringing the flush was not the so, card i wanted to see so it's five of hearts four of hearts three of hearts four of clubs and then nine of hearts on the river yeah. um and there's holding the ace two of spades his opponent's range you know he his opponent raised preflop and then called in a multi-way pot to see the turn card. Okay, might have done that a bit loose, but he's, he should hold something. It's a board which is horrible for um, a lot of the hands that were in his range. And for him to continue to the turn makes me think, well, he's got something. Um, even if it's just the Ace of Hearts or King of Hearts, he's got something. And then when the river rivers the nine of hearts, I think even if he's got the queen of hearts, he's probably calling this bet on the end. Mm. Um, yeah, and and for that reason, I think you're only making a few better hands fold, um, not not many, right? And therefore, I don't think you it's not working as a bluff very very successfully on this board. Mm. You, you you know you. You can pull off good bluffs in this type of situation, but you need to be doing it against an opponent whose range has plenty of foldable hands in it. And I just don't, I'm not convinced that he's arrived here with enough of those hands. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I was, I nearly felt like I'd committed myself to the story of uh, the full house hitting the full house on the turn so that uh, when the river came the heart i was kind of banking on him having the flush and and just being just- yeah but i mean you start the, the flop is 16000 with 60 something left behind it's the stack to put ratio is only 4 or 5 you know it's just not you're not playing deep enough for someone to to fold um you know, a, a, a reasonable strength hand at the end there. I, yeah. Yeah. I, so I hear what you mean. Yeah. If it had been earlier in the, in the tournament and um, the blinds were much less, yeah, more in the, more in the stack. Um, yeah. It, it did. The, the river bet was committing him to, to pretty much most of his chips as well, uh, which, which I thought was in my advantage. Um, yeah I mean you're certainly making him make a decision like with a king of hearts queen of hearts it's a bit sweaty for him Um, but I think he has to call Mm. I think he has to call if he's if he's been waiting for the hearts if he's got there with a weaker hand than the ace of hearts which I think most of the time he's either got the ace of hearts or he had another reason being here so this is either um you know, he, he might have, say he's got the same hand as you. That that that's that's you might make that him fold that hand. Mm. Um, but there aren't there. I just don't think there are enough for it to work successfully. For, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I you know, all I was representing really preflop was a pair of threes or a pair of fives, and um, it's just not enough combinations of those compared to the rest of my range so yeah yeah yes well the, it's a, it's a, it's really tricky i mean i i'm not certain on how you, you should proceed with these flops and um the gto calculators are tough to interpret um on the on these boards you know 
five, four, three of hearts. I mean, what a nightmare to navigate. Um, so many thoughts going through your head about should, should you be strong? Should you be weak? And um, the, the truth seems to be somewhere in between um, that you shouldn't be over strong and shouldn't be over overly passive uh, in the way that you play, play these hands, but uh, something in between. And, I guess that's the same for all all types of flops, and I shouldn't I shouldn't look at these boards and be swung too much by my emotions or the limited thought processes that I have, and I should pay more attention to what the GTO calculators tell me is optimal, and then adjust from there depending on what what my opponent I think my opponent's doing. Mm, so mm. In, in this particular hand if if you looked at your opponent and thought he's playing a bit of a wider range um i could exploit a bit more often then that might might lend some credence to you doing a bit more betting and looking to get value from your straight if you think your opponent's gonna call a bit too too loose um arrive here with more hands than i expect him to arrive there with then I think that you know that that gives you a little bit more of a boost in terms of the way you've played it. But overall, I'd still lean towards a little bit more caution just on these monotone flops. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I at least got him to uh, think for quite a while, which uh, was good. It was a, it was a good little sweat for me. Uh, uh, you know, I probably haven't sweated on a. I'm nearly effectively calling it a, a triple barrel bluff, uh, <laughs> but I know it's not. But um, yeah, he uh, tanked for quite a while. Uh, finally called, and uh, just for the results oriented amongst us, um, he did have the ace of hearts, uh, nine of spades. So yeah, I mean, he's going to be a little bit concerned that you've got a full house because obviously you're you're not known for throwing your chips in with uh, with nothing, which you've effectively got right. So yeah, uh, you've t- you've turned um, you've turned a straight into a bluff, which is uh, to be fair, a bit of a pro move, Merv. Well, I don't know if that's why I enjoyed the hand so much because I, the, the, that is a little bit out of character for me. Normally, uh, I would find a, a fold. And I may never find out whether he was just bluffing himself, whether he threw in a C bet and I had to you know, reluctantly call. And then he, I, I check call or check the turn. He throws in another bet, and uh, and I reluctantly fold. You know, at the time, what was the best hand? So, yeah, I think it was uh, could be a turning point. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a turning point. Actually, that's <laughs> it's, it's one way I'll look at it. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my only advice on the end there to, to take away perhaps a bit of kind of general guidance for people listening is I, the way I see it is when I arrive at the river here, I know that I should not have a high bluffing frequency. And the reason I know that is that my opponent ought to have a, a high percentage of hands, which he's just not able to fold. He has to call with them because he's got loads of ASEX of hearts and hands like those. And the other thing to think about is if I am going to bluff, I need some frequencies of bluffs. What are the weakest hands that make the most sense for me? You know, think about blockers as well, but think about just the weaker hands in my range for, um, for, for, for making the shove with. The hand that Merv holds is... It has be, it's be, become sort of middle of the road. It's a hand with showdown equity. It's not a hand that I think needs to be used as a bluff. It's yeah. more of a it's more of a bluff catching hand. So that's why I'd recommend uh, check calling the river. Yeah, and I, I think also in the back of my mind, I must have heard it three times in the past week on on various podcasts that uh, players at at this level of stakes simply don't bluff the river enough. And uh, they usually have it, <laughs> so I think I was playing that role. And uh, yeah, just yeah, I mean, yeah. it's true. You, you because of your table image as well, uh, which is usually pretty nitty. You are gonna you are gonna get a lot of good players are gonna sit a bit longer on a decision like this because it's like, well, Merv doesn't bluff, <laughs> you know, and he may he may have. 
been quite reluctant to call thinking there's a really high percentage chance that you're holding a full house. Um, but at SPR five to get to arrive at that river and then not call off when he hits his heart would have been, um, cause I mean, he, you know, that's all he's looking for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got ACE nine offsuit. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. He could hit a two. Um, for a straight, but he's not looking for that. He's lo- he's looking for a nine outer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and and if the heart doesn't come, I'm I'm pretty golden. So um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When the heart came, I was uh, just like, uh, just keep doing it. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you pulled the trigger, and I, I think you know you 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 learned your lesson from this one that. There are certain things to think about when you pull the the, the trigger for the triple barrel. It, you need your opponent to have enough hands in his range that he will fold. Um, so, and when I say enough hands, I mean enough hands uh, that are better than yours, right? And there just aren't uh, mm. there just aren't really any. And that's why is the wrong moment. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you think about it like that next time but try definitely don't let it deter you from trying to pull a big river bluff off in the future because uh it's it's a big thing to have in your weaponry you need to be able to do it yeah and if you don't start practicing uh you'll never get good at it so the, uh, yeah appreciate that very much uh, ben that uh, that coverage of it very nice to hear your uh, your thoughts on it and KP, just by the way, well played. Um, he ended up uh, with the chip stack something like four to five times the average at the end of the night. So he, he took my chips and, and used them good. So <laughs> uh, I'll hopefully see him a bit later on Sunday night at, towards the end of day two because I'll be going back on day 1C for another crack at it. Good on you, Merv. Yeah. Never give up. Excellent. All right. Uh Let's take a, one last break here and we'll come back faster than the Victorian government can lock down a state with 20 cases of coronavirus on the Postal Poker Podcast. And welcome back, everyone. We're on the final stretch of episode 122. And, uh, yeah, it's got this sense of sadness, Ben, uh, talking to you from the last time in Thailand. Uh, well, feels like you're going it, yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be, not. we're going to have to schedule even further apart now. It's going to be like when Mike was here, right? Oh, yeah. No. But don't worry, right. we'll, we'll sort it out. Um, yeah. No, it, it's all change. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's been it's been you know fifteen years in Thailand, Merv. It's been fifteen a, years. Wow, it's been an epic holiday. That's a, yeah, that's one fifth of one fifth of your life, or a quarter of your life, anyway. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess um, we'll see. We'll see how long that one lasts. <laughs> oh, I meant currently. Uh, God, fifteen—that's a big chunk. That's that sure is. Wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. When did you did you ever think you'd be going back, or was it just sort of a decision? Went once you got to Thailand, you got there, you met well, you loved the place, and I mean, just went. Yeah, there. yeah. I, I, I thought there was always a chance that we'd um, we'd go back on a sort of maybe six months, six month basis. So spend uh, spend half the year here, half the year in in the UK, and that might still be the end goal. Um, but uh, the, yeah, there's there's various things that uh, are going into the decision and the decision to do it now. Um, but uh, no, it feels it feels like the right thing. Yeah, yeah. End of an era. I can't wait to hear some of the poker stories from the Grosvenor. <laughs> well, ben we'll see. We'll see. Grinding away at the end of a tournament at two a.m. in the morning with a podcast the very next day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Would you play cash or tournament? Oh, tournament for sure. 
Yeah. You, you know that Murph. You know I just that. wanted to check. I just wanted to check your lot where you check your loyalties. <laughs> no, no, I'll always be um, a tournament player at heart. So that's, uh, that's not going to change quickly. Um, and I think if if the formats of the game change, then I'd still prefer the format of a tournament, even if the game itself has changed into something slightly different. And I am I am anticipating that this is going to happen you know Merv we're going to see uh, the game itself change I don't think it's going to stay exactly as it is um, but you know it's another debate it might do uh, well yeah um, Pokestars comes up with a new variation every six months or a year it seems uh, yeah <laughs> but I mean a lot of that's just online formats it's what it's what gets taken up and and loved and you know, and that that will require the the live players buying into it as well. It, it can't just be an online format that explodes. We've seen that plenty of times um, where there's a, a fad, um, mm. and and then you know that moves on into something else. But w what remains? Uh, so far, the game has you know. Has held up fairly well despite all the format changes or variants. Um, it has, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. takes us home. Yeah, yeah, so far. But I am, I am anticipating there will be some more sort of fundamental changes to the game. Maybe it'll, um, maybe it'll sort of move in, into another game, um, join forces with another game. We're seeing a lot of this in other, um, in a, a, other parts of the gaming world where two genres are mixed together to to produce a new game so we'll see we'll see well, and, and like... we'll talk about more of that in the chapter on poker and the future uh, oh, that's coming up don't, in don't want to give away too much information from the action-packed book poker and everything uh <laughs> the really long final chapter on poker and the future both pages. Yes, both pages really long. <laughs> it's longer than that. You're not giving yourself credit. <laughs> I can't remember. It's, Just joking. It's, du it's double that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, and that free book, by the way, is uh, rocketing up the uh, free. I, I believe it's one of the most downloaded books on the uh, postflop.com website. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's doing um it's it's doing as expected uh may, maybe even slightly better than expected yeah um but it, it, it you know it's a pet project it's not um it's not something I, i'm not sort of looking at the numbers every day and thinking oh i wish it had sold more or <laughs> that's not <laughs> happening <laughs> yeah no yeah no and no, i'll I'll, uh, I'll still wait for my um commission part uh, it's not much but um yeah uh, next time i think that you offer me a commission on a book can you actually put a, a cover price on it um because my <laughs> <laughs> my 10 10 percent that you offered me on all the sales on poker and everything i mean that's what that's what got me into doing all these chapters on it. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, ten percent commission will sell a bundle, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll make some buy-ins. <laughs> nice one. Well, yeah, just a reminder, everyone, if you want to get uh, Ben's poker and everything, just go to postlop.com. It's free, totally free. Uh, get it, and you can see what we've been talking about uh, these last few shows. And still got uh, ne next episodes. Poker and artificial intelligence, as we uh, sort of uh, gave you a little couple of insights as we were talking today. Uh, that's wow, that subject's just the potential for that is. Yeah, it uh, deserves another chat. I mean, the chat we had with James uh, from Algo Holden was awesome, but I think um, I, th I think we've got more to, to, to sort of dive into. So, I mean, I even started yeah. doing it today unintentionally, um, but. Uh, the, yeah, the whole the whole realm of computers and and poker. I mean, wow, what a topic! Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Ben, I'm going to say goodbye to you for the last time in Thailand. For the last time in Thailand, goodbye. Uh.
If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email from the contact page on the website, postflotpoker.com, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at postflotpoker. Thanks again to all of our patrons and all our listeners. Have a fantastic rest of your morning, everyone, day or evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Merv Astro247 Harvey, and we'll see you all next time with another episode of the Postflop Poker Podcast. To all our Japanese listeners, matane, and to everyone else, bye for now. Game over.